This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of August 15th, 2016, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 330 of Defender Radio. Woodland caribou aren't doing too well in Alberta. Two herds specifically, those in the Little Smoky and Alapash ranges, are at risk of extirpation or local extinction. Under federal endangered species legislation, Alberta is required to take action. Sadly, this has put wolves in the crosshairs of poor policy and planning. Recently, a proposal that would lengthen the campaign of wolf killing in an unscientific attempt to prevent losses to the herds, as well as ignore critical changes to habitat through resource exploitation, was fought by a group of wildlife advocates headed by Wolf Awareness Incorporated. To discuss the natural history of Alberta's wolves, this potentially disastrous proposal being considered by the province, and what wolf lovers around the world can do to stop it, Defender Radio was joined by Sadie Parr, Executive Director of Wolf Awareness Incorporated. We're now kind of looking at this as just that broad issue. Uh, the commenting period for a proposal has closed. Um, and we, we tried to get as many people over to that as we could, but there's still a very uh, large-scale, long-term issue uh, at play here. So could you maybe explain a bit about, you know, how we got to where we're at in Alberta in regards to wolves and caribou? Yeah, of course. Um, it certainly hasn't happened overnight. I mean, what basically was released in 2012 was our federal recovery strategy for caribou. And in that, it had stated that 95% of habitat has already been disturbed largely by industry, but also recreation for the Little Smoky caribou range. Um, That is a herd that is a subpopulation of woodland caribou, so they're mountain caribou, and they also live adjacent to another herd called the Alapash. So mostly our concerns that have been raised are for the specific range plan for this area because that's where habitat has been so impoverished over such a long period of time um, that in honesty we have to recognize we might not be able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again given the extent of the destruction and and a climbing chain uh, cli- uh, sorry a changing climate too um, however we can certainly try through habitat restoration but I feel and many others do that killing one species to possibly save another in an impoverished ecosystem is certainly not an ethically acceptable way to go and scientifically it is flawed as well and I mean we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail but the bottom line basically is that these wilderness areas over time have been eroded into industrial landscapes Um, So that is, you know, the ultimate cause of caribou decline, and that has been recognized by scientists across the board. Well, and I think what's interesting, too, as I recall reading about some of this uh, over the last couple of years, that the wolves, while they do prey on caribou, are actually just a very small sort of percentage of the, the decline of the population. Uh, or not even the decline, but simply just the the annual death rates. 
That's, that's a really good point, Mike. Um, now, again, this is where we have to be careful in that not every caribou situation where they're declining is the same. Um, some of the ecosystems are different. They all, however, like you've just pointed out, are part of multi-predator systems. So it is not just wolves that do prey on caribou. Um, so certainly, I mean, predator and prey have co-evolved. One of the things with these caribou, though, is that one of their defense mechanisms has been to avoid predators um, through, you know, spreading out and in winter times going into deep snow where wolves and other predators can't access them. So anytime we create snowpack through a road or snowmobile or even ski touring, um, we are effectively leading predators to caribou that historically would have been safe. So that's another way that we are continuing to alter the habitat for caribou. Um, but again, it's, it is you know, slightly different circumstances in different caribou ranges, and we have to be careful not to clump them all into one because there are some differences. But, I mean, the, the majority of it, like you said, um, the same issue. One of the things that's very important for the Little Smoky caribou range is that this herd is limited by the carrying capacity of their habitat. So it's very unlikely that we would even see a temporary change in their population if we did start killing off all of the predators, which, again, ethically and morally unacceptable, not good for other ecological functions. But um, I'm just saying that, you know, this is why the proposal to continue killing wolves for the next 50 years is absurd. Um, you know, we've been doing that in this area for more than the past 11 years, and yet we've seen no increase in those caribou numbers. So obviously this isn't working. It's a failed experiment that is, um, you know, proposed to continue for another five decades. And it's time that Canadians stand up to say, you know, this is, this is unacceptable. This is not part of um, responsible wildlife management, and it, it doesn't belong anymore. Yeah, and it's very interesting, too. Um, I mean, there, there's a couple of themes at play in there. One of them is the connectivity of the habitats, and uh, that's something, you know, as you know, my backgrounds with wildlife started very much with coyotes and working with Coyote Watch Canada. And one of the things I learned very early on was how much their behavior changed based on the things we changed in their habitat. So when we created new corridors, right? So if we set up a hydro line, for example, all of a sudden the coyotes would start using it to get around. If we put up sure, a wall yeah. at a highway, they'd start going somewhere else. So I, I, I think sort of that habitat change plus the connectivity and the connectivity is what we're seeing with Algonquin wolves or Eastern wolves. Um, uh, or else we end up with islands of extinction. Yes. Right? Um, I mean, with, when we're talking about small populations, um, whether it be Algonquin wolves, although their numbers are, are a little larger than the little smoky herds, inbreeding depression also becomes a factor, which could adversely affect long-term viability, um, which is, you know, an, another main reason why these corridors and connectivity to other protected areas are essential. But when populations get so small, many, you know, a variety of stochastic events could, could affect that, that population in itself. Now, killing wolves isn't going to change that, but what it would do is disrupt the ecosystem even more. And 
That's because wolves are not only an apex predator, but they are keystone species. So they influence many other plants and animals and, and processes. And when they're exploited or removed, entire food webs and many other species are also compromised. Um, so a great, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pump out a, a book here, The Wolf's Tooth by Christina Eisenberg is uh, one that I highly recommend to learn more about trophic cascades and, um, you know, the, the trickle-down effects that an apex predator can have on entire ecosystems. And it's very frightening to see what can happen to an ecosystem when those predators are removed. And that's that's been the subject of, of all kinds of studies in the last couple of years. And I know it's it's, it's a growing field, but it, I, I'd say in the last two or three years, I routinely get notifications about new studies having to do with large land carnivores um, and their role in the ecosystems. And when you look at traditional uh, uh, wildlife management, which realistically is primarily game management um and you start to see what's happening it's it's scary Um, it really it is scary um but it's also fantastic to to have this information simply because knowledge is power and what we're seeing now is biologists and conservation biologists and ecologists from around the world gathering to talk about the decline in megafauna um, large carnivores and biodiversity as a whole and there's recently been one um, where many of these conservation biologists pledged to do things differently, trying to reach governments and saying we can no longer prioritize industry at the expense of ecosystems. So it's, I agree with you, it's, it's a time of great concern, um, but I'm very glad that people are at least paying attention, those that are, and uh, hopefully actively engaging, because at this point we've still got a chance to um, influence our natural legacy and, and in Canada maintain intact predator-prey systems. And that's really a big part of the messaging or discussion that has to have, is we've got to, we've got to shift from simply managing our wildlife to actual um, conserving it. Um, conservation of wildlife shouldn't be about just managing species, but managing things for these species. And this is where, you know, wide-scale killing programs and experiments to, to, to fence caribou in permanent enclosures really do not belong within our Federal Species at Risk Act. These are not tools for conservation and should not be disguised as such. Now, those are, those are two things I do want to touch on. Um, first, and this is one going back again, I, I think it was last year, um, a report came out in Alberta that indicated um, the amount of wolf killing that's happening and is supposed to continue to happen cannot be enough to protect these caribou. Um, and I, I don't remember which range it was, I'll be honest, but it more or less say, like, this is a flawed plan. And this was uh, either independent or government, um, but it was, you know, a very clear indicator. Why can, I, I don't, that's not the correct phrasing, but how can there be such a clear statement as that, yet the policy to continue this kind of program keeps going forward? That is the question of, the decade, I, I would ask. Um, I don't. I, I'm not sure. There's definitely a disconnect there. Um, I mean, similarly, biologists have been urging for more habitat conservation for these specific caribou ranges since the 1970s. So again, this is nothing new. Um, 
somehow we have allowed Canada to shift to prioritize industry and resource extraction, and we're not celebrating or recognizing the value of the resources that we have, which is wildlife as part of a public trust, the ecosystem services they provide as well. It's definitely time to bring ethics into the equation too. Um, I, I guess I feel that more people need to focus on this issue until we do reach that tipping point. Because quite honestly, I don't believe that predator control belongs anywhere in Canada, uh, not just Alberta, not just BC, um, not just the uh, inadequate protection that is being offered to Ontario wolves. Um, across the country, we really have to step up the uh, respect given and conservation provided for wolves as well as coyotes and and most large carnivores in this country. Uh, now the other one that you did bring up was the um, the fencing option, and this is something it's it feels like something a high school student would kind of spitball in the back of a class as a potential solution. <laughs> um, like it, it it just it has that like very immaturity yeah. behind yeah. it. it uh, that it's not thought out. And again, when we talk, and uh, as I said, all of the current science is pointing to connectivity and large-scale ecosystem restoration. And you've been saying for years, they've been talking about the need for habitat protection. And what they're proposing, more or less, is to segregate these animals even more from a potential ecosystem. Um, in addition to what would very much be just the, the wholesale slaughter of any potential competitor or predator within this fenced area for the sake of preserving some caribou. Uh, how does a, a proposal like this make it as far as it did without someone just saying, nope, we're going home, see you later? Like, how does that continue to go? That's a really good question. And, you know, it's one that is perturbing me over the last few years, yet I'm no longer surprised. Um, because this isn't the first <laughs> this isn't the first one that I've witnessed. I've seen some wildlife policy proposals come out um, in BC and Canada for wolves specifically over the past decade that really are almost, I could almost say nonsensical or schizophrenic. They're a backward slide from what we have learned and from progress that has been made. Um, how does this happen? I mean, just to give you an example of, of what I'm talking about and how flabbergasted I, I am by some of these things, the BC management pr uh, plan proposal cited dangerous wolves, I don't know how many times in the literature, um, in their draft plan. And wolves are a very wary animal. They're not pets that belong on your porch, but there are only two records in North America of people ever being um, you know, seriously injured by wolves. So it's like we're still perpetuating this little red riding hood fairy tale and not paying attention to the knowledge that has been gained. We are regressing in our wildlife management policies and I believe we're we're seeing almost this carnivore cleansing mentality across many parts of North America, which is shameful and embarrassing, um, again, given what conservation biologists, ecologists, and just the general public understand about, you know, the value of biodiversity as well as the intrinsic value that all species have at this mm -hmm. point. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. I remember 
again, years ago, when I was uh, still working in the media, talking with a psychologist because I was trying to wrap my head around why people were so freaked out by coyotes. And um, as I recall, it was more or less sort of in conjunction to the, the Little Red Riding Hood symptoms uh, that, are, that are very obvious through our culture. There is also a level of instinctual fear of any animal with large teeth. It's sure. one of those very old sort of programmed into us things. So it's it's one of those little things I always find interesting when these conversations come up. Um, and now you, during this proposal process, um, yourself and a large group of uh, organizations, including the Fur Bears, signed on to a, a letter. Um, yeah. Could you explain, uh, and I, I'm looking at it again now, there's two major points in this, uh, or sorry, three major points in this. Three, yeah. Could you sort of briefly explain what they are and why they should be the priority? Well, basically, our, our major asks, and this was, this was collaboration among uh, NGOs across Canada, ranging from conservation groups to animal welfare organizations, and even some independent scientists stepped up to participate and be a part of this. Um, basically, our three asks, the first one is, is very simple. It was, let's have a moratorium on industry and recreation within these ranges. Again, they're 95% developed, and it is inconceivable why a conservation plan would allow for continued development of that very, very fragile habitat. Um, so I think it's very clear that what caribou do need at this point, and the primary focus is on habitat protection and restoration, and that there is no room for industry or, or recreation in these areas um, at this point. The, the second ask was for an immediate end to predator kill experiments. Um, again, these have never been proven to be effective, um, and it's simply unacceptable to kill one species or, or several to save another. Well, we didn't put caribou in the situation we did, and we have to um, make the responsible decisions which do not harm the rest of the ecosystem or animals within it. And finally, it's really urging that government refocus efforts on habitat protection, restoration, and linkages. So kind of a, a repeat there, but well worth repeating because that is essentially the, the priority if we are serious about preserving caribou and any species on that habitat. So it's, it's really shameful that, um, again, this proposal has been disguised as a uh, uh, conservation plan, um, really all we're conserving is the ability for industry to continue, but at all costs. So, I mean, we've been calling this dirty oil, because um, it is largely the oil and gas sector that is developing in that area, and we feel that, um, you know, more than a thousand wolves have already died in that area for about 78 caribou. When are we going to start protecting the caribou by keeping the real predators, which again are, um, you know, the, everything that is threatening their habitat, when are we going to focus All on All right, that? and one of the things I want to talk about, and this is not a situation where I propose to have an answer or I even know how I necessarily feel about it, but as we look at this and we, we keep talking about how we're not willing to kill one species for another, um, mm -hmm. which to me is, to me seems well, very ethically the, clear. 
the ends can never be used to justify the means, and yeah. we have to be aware of that, right? That's, there's a moral dilemma wrapped up inside of this conservation dilemma, um, but it's something that we certainly cannot ignore. Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, I think most people will agree on the face of it that killing one to save another is not an ethical option. And then the question becomes to me, and, and this is the kind of thing you know, where I've had a couple of whiskeys in me and I'll sit and debate it with the dogs for hours and hours and hours and never really get anywhere for some reason, but um, is, you know, are we ready to accept that these mountain caribou herds may be at the end of the line? Like, is, is extinction what is simply going to happen? Well, I mean, I don't think anybody has a definitive answer to that. There is no model that can project the future and include all of the parameters, such as climate change, which, again, a fencing experiment would not allow any species adaptation for. So nobody really has that answer. But I think that the best we can do is to focus on solutions that do not cause more harm. Um, you know, and, and weigh the decisions that we make with how they affect the surviving species. We have to move beyond just species-specific preservation to, to thinking about entire ecosystems. And don't get me wrong, individuals certainly are important. I mean, that's, that's an argument that I'm making um, for, for wolves in this case, as well as for caribou. But what I'm saying is that killing the wolves is not going to be what brings those caribou back. If we are serious about that, we've got to get out of that area in terms of industry and recreation. Um, we have to restore what we have damaged. And even then, there is no guarantee because it's a very you know, dynamic ecosystem, multi-predator, multi-prey. Climate changes are certainly occurring. I mean, we can't deny that, and nobody knows. But it's always worth trying. Um, however, the priority in my value system is first do no harm. And that's where I would say, um, you know, better for those caribou to learn to survive in as part of an intact ecosystem that is functioning rather than a, a game farm or a zoo. Because that, to me, is really making caribou more akin to cows. But that's not conservation of a species as part of the ecosystem. Well, and I think it's very important when you talk about adaptation. Um, and, I, and again, this is where we look at evolution, we look at uh, uh, climate change, and all of these factors coming in. And I think it does get left out of these discussions, again, whether it is, you know, over coffee, over a podcast, or in the, the halls of government, um, that we can't predict how all of these factors are going to come together. And how, you know, could these caribou herd learn to survive at a different altitude? Are they going to move to a different, you know, valley because of climate change? How then will the predators and the, the lower level invertebrate react to this change? Right. And what will do the plant life? Like there's so yeah. many factors yeah. that we can't know. Oh, no, there's so many unknowns out there. Um, you know, there is evidence now that predators can help facilitate adaptions or adaptations of their prey to things such as climate change. But we certainly have to allow for the animals to be able to adapt themselves. And again, that's where we need linkages. We need a place for an animal to be able to get from A to B. Um, we need to maintain gene flow within these populations um, so that they do have 
you know, a, a healthy future and have the ability to deal with all of the unknowable events in the future that might come up. Um, now, segregating these animals, isolating them, destroying the predators, and, I mean, liberalizing hunting, there are recommendations to kill increased moose, deer, and elk in these caribou farms is what I call them as well. Um, all of that is disrupting ecosystems and also, I mean, certainly creates suffering to the, those wildlife species, which we cannot forget about or neglect simply because they don't have an endangered status. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I again, as the commenting period, that was the big push we had all been taking part in up until, um, uh, I guess, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, what can people do now, though, now that that commenting period is over and we're going to have to wait and see what the government comes back with as a result of the proposal, the comments, etc.? Yeah. What can Canadians be doing? And, and frankly, Americans, we've got folks in the UK and uh, Germany who listen. Uh, what can people be doing to try and help these wolves and help these caribou? I think it's essential for people from all over the world, actually, to know that right now Alberta is rewriting their wolf management and conservation plan. So that's happening all throughout 2016. Um, I have certainly requested that all the input that was given in terms of predator control, um, management that is ongoing and proposed for all those caribou comments i've i've asked those comments to be included in um in the refinement of this plan too so if people would go to our website or find uh, basically the important thing is to contact alberta decision makers and urge that wolves are treated better that more habitat is protected again for all species um, and that conservation and ethics be prioritized in terms of management in Alberta. Again, this is just one issue facing wolves in Alberta. Outside of the caribou ranges, they're still subject to bounties, um, poison for agricultural purposes, and pretty non-existent hunting and, regulate, hunting and trapping regulations. So there's a lot of different issues to get involved in, and now is a very good time to use your voice. We've got uh, contact information for decision makers on our website. And Mike, as you kind of mentioned earlier or suggested, I think it is really important and I highly encourage people to talk among their family, friends and peers about these issues so that they can no longer be ignored. They've been pushed under the rug for too long. Again, I mean, wolves have been killed in the Little Smoky Range for the past 11 years and many people are still unaware of that. Uh, So the time to discuss this is now. Let's talk about it until it stops. And also, I would encourage local environmental groups and leaders to take up this issue and learn more. Um, There's always ways for people to become involved, and it's certainly a defining time for Canadian values in uh, these types of decisions. To learn more about Alberta's wolves and how you can get involved in stopping poor policy that would see them killed, visit wolfawarenessinc.org. That's the show for this week, folks. I want to thank Sadie for joining us, as well as all of you for tuning in. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.